There we go. So uh, tonight's talk is about telling others how and why. It's also, um, this is called evangelism. And so this is the point of the Alpha course. I don't know if you've taken Alpha before, but you'll know this is the point where we hand out the bullhorns and the sandwich boards. Uh, you'll get your quotas. So um, <laughs> Gary was telling about inviting people two weeks from tonight. So if you don't have somebody, you're going to have to answer to it. Uh, Jesus will want to know why you didn't invite a friend. So, so I wanted to start my talk uh, on telling others uh, by saying that God's love for you is not conditional at all. There's no part of God's love that you get to earn, uh, that you get to do something to receive. God's love for you is just what it is. It's not negotiable. And so I know when we talk in Alpha, we, we start with things like prayer and reading the Bible and telling others. And that seems like a lot of things that Christians do. And I just want to start by saying that we do these things not because we have to, not because we want to earn something. We, we can't earn something. So I just want to start the conversation there and saying this is not something that we're doing to earn anything. This is a response. Um, also, too, I don't even have the power to save myself. And so when we talk about evangelism, the danger is that we make it more about us, about how many people have I saved, how many people have I brought to the Lord. We, we don't have to. We don't have that power, guys. We really don't. We can't even save ourselves. So I want to be clear that God has the biggest part of evangelism. We kind of ha actually have the easy part of evangelism or telling others. And, um, and finally, I just want to say Christ's sacrifice to us has is, is always been just a gift. Again, something we don't earn. Um, John three sixteen and 17, and this is from the voice translation, says, For God expressed his love for the world in this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, but will have everlasting life. Here's the point. God didn't send his son into the world to judge it. Instead, he is here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. So I just want to start there and say there's, you know, all of this stuff is kind of like icing on the cake. This is something we do out of response to what we've been given freely, but it's not something that we're ever going to earn or something that we need to try to earn. So I just want to start there, take some of the pressure off, and just say it's, it's okay, <laughs> we, can, we can do this. So the question is, why and how should we tell others? So I want to take that first part of the question. And uh, we're in section uh, 13, which is on uh, page 72 um, in, your, in your course book. And you can turn there if, if you feel inclined. Um, there's going to be uh, a lot of scripture, and so whenever we look at it together, that translation to the NIV, whenever I read you scripture, it's going to be the voice, with one exception, I'll, and I'll call out when I read a, a piece from the message, um, just so you know. It's not important in any way, but I just wanted to let you guys know. So when, when I talked to you guys last time, I talked about how God guides us, and we talked about the Bible, and so one of the things that we talked about was we can know God's particular will through Scripture. And so when we say, well, why should we tell others, that's, that's where we start. And so um, Matthew 28, 
verses 18 and 20 is, is so popular, Christians like to put it on their blankets. And so uh, that's uh, page 743, or if you can read the wall over there, that's, that's the verse from over there. And so it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So right off the gate, why should I tell others? Well, Jesus kind of told us to. And so that's one of those things where we can look and say, oh, I, I probably should do that. Um, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, and that's on page 760. Um, we can all turn together and look at that, 760. So it's Mark, and this is the 16th chapter. So we're at the top of this. You'll see Luke at the bottom, but we're in um, chapter 16, and we're in verse 15. It says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So again, we've got in several Gospels, there's a, a biblical mandate from Christ himself telling us that we're to spread others. Excuse me, spread the word to others. So that's the first why Jesus told us to. Uh, I've kind of alluded to the second why. It, it, it's an act of thanksgiving. We, we've been given so much that it, it kind of is hard to contain. And so this is a, a longer passage from Romans that I'm going to read to you. It's Romans uh, 5, uh, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 11. It says, Since we have been acquitted and made right through faith, we are able to experience true and lasting peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, the Liberating King. Jesus leads us into a place of radical grace where we are able to celebrate the hope of experiencing God's glory. And that's not all. We also celebrate in seasons of suffering because we know that when we suffer, we develop endurance, which shapes our character. When our characters are refined, we learn what it means to hope and anticipate God's goodness. And hope will nev never fail to satisfy our deepest need because the Holy Spirit that was given to us has flooded our hearts with God's love. When the time was right, the anointed one died for all of us who were far from God, powerless and weak. Now, it is rare to find someone willing to die for an upright person, although it's possible that someone may give his life for one who is truly good. But think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible display. The anointed one died for us. As a result... The blood of Jesus has made us right with God now, and certainly we will be rescued by him from God's wrath in the future. If we were in the heat of combat with God when his son reconciled us by laying down his life, then how much more will we be saved by Jesus' resurrection life? In fact, we stand now reconciled and at peace with God. That's why we celebrate in God through the, our Lord Jesus, the anointed. So again, there's this idea of the scale and the scope of what God has done for us. And again, this is something that we just inherited um, unconditionally. And so out of thanksgiving, we're moved to share that good news with others. In fact, that's what the gospel means. It means good news. And so when we're spreading the gospel, we're spreading that news of what has been accomplished through us through the sacrifice of Christ. And we also, we also tell others because we have something to offer. 
Um, we have a relationship that changes us. If you remember, I, in my uh, last talk, I quoted uh, John 5.39, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's basically saying, you're looking for eternal life in a pile of scrolls, but <laughs> I'm sitting right here in front of you. And so the idea there is it's not just about learning rules and following rules. In fact, when Jesus gets mad, it seems to always be at religious people. He, um, I think it's in Matthew 23, he talks about just heaping rules on people, and he says, you're making them twice the sons of hell that you are. He says, you're like a, a cup. You wash the outside, and the, and the inside is so dirty. And so we're not talking about giving people a bunch of rules that now they have to struggle under. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about a relationship. Um, in Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, that's on page 843. And we can go look at that real quick. Again, that's page 843. So chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so, again, we, we're talking about going to people who haven't heard this or received it and sharing this gospel, this joy, this good news, this relationship, this forgiveness, this healing, everything that we've gotten, we're talking about sharing it with people who don't have that. And I kind of want to reference our talk last week about all of the evil in the world, the evil that destroys lives and, and ruins relationships. Uh, in Galatians, um, and this is from the message, um, this is uh, chapter 5. I'll, I'll read to you what a life like that looks like. It says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, everyone into a rival, excuse me, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know, if you use your freedom in this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. And so there are people out there who are stuck in this kind of a life, who don't have the means or the ability or the access to start to forgive themselves or to forgive others. And so what we have is an answer to that. We have something they can use today. Um, there's a very rich and very deep and meaningful theology of what comes in the life after. 
And that's something I believe, and I do believe in heaven, and I do believe that I'm going to see my loved ones again, and it's going to be a feast, and we're going to be together in, in, in something that's so perfect and beautiful I can't describe. But I'm not going to talk about any of that tonight, because what I want to talk about is practical for today, for living for today, because so much of the, the theology of the afterlife, especially when it comes to evangelism, uh, gets lumped in with fear, uh, fear of people going to hell and, and, and that type of thing, fear of being separated from their loved ones and whatever comes after. So I'm not really even going to address that. What I'm going to say is why that kind of a relationship with God is good for now, because the extra is just is, is an eternal bonus, if you will. Uh, but, but we have an answer to this type of life for now, which kind of brings us to the how. So that's if you're following along, we finished that little piece right there, and uh, we're making great time. So. Um, I'm sure we've all been on the, the receiving side of evangelism in one way or the other, um, because even, even if you go to church and you believe, there are different flavors that believe in different stuff, and so they kind of don't believe that you know, because you don't believe in their flavor, you know, you still are, are not kind of right with God or in, in the right way. And so I'm sure we all have those experiences of being evangelized at maybe poorly. And so I was trying to think of the worst example of, of that kind of a story that I could think of. And my mother-in-law came to mind. I don't know if anybody has a worse evangelism story. Um, and the if you're not familiar with her, when she was, she was born in 1940 on an island um, uh, that was occupied by Japan called Okinawa. And for those of you who are familiar with World War II, there was a horrible, horrible battle on Okinawa. And so she was five and, and lived through that, uh, living in caves, eating food off of dead soldiers, seeing family members, you know, uh, go through that at, at five years old. And so... Afterwards, the missionaries come in, right? The, the war's over, and the missionaries come. And she was starving. She had rickets, which I didn't even know what rickets were. I had to go on Wikipedia. Apparently, rickets is a vitamin deficiency. But again, um, not something we deal with too much nowadays, but uh, it was a sign of malnutrition back then. And so the, the missionaries came to, to, to save these people from the life that they, I guess, were born into, and you, they would give you food, they would feed you, but they ha you'd, you'd have to confess Jesus first. You would have to be baptized first. And so I in your head, maybe you can picture a five-year-old girl starving, you know, who's lost everything to war, and, <laughs> and saying, you know, God loves you, and he's got so much for you, but here's what you have to do first. <laughs> here's what you would have to do in order to, get a, in order to get a meal. So she got baptized like seven times, because why wouldn't you, right? Like she, she'd just go through the line and get baptized. But that did, until the day she died, she had no use for Christians. She had no use for Christianity or a religion that would look at a five-year-old girl who was starving and say, this is what you have to do to earn this. And so I would use that as an example of maybe not what to do. <laughs> um, 
I'm not the best evangelist. I'm not very good at evangelizing. But it seems to me the thing that works most and the most reliably is love. That's the thing. That's how we interact with everyone, believers and non-believers alike. Um, John chapter 13, verses 31 and 35. Now the son, and this is um, Jesus talking. He says, Now the Son of Man will be glorified as God is glorified in Him. If God's glory is in Him, His glory is also in God. The moment of this astounding glory is imminent. My children, my time here is brief. You will be searching for me, and as I told the Jews, you cannot go where I'm going. So I give you a new command. Love each other deeply and fully. Remember the ways that I have loved you and demonstrate your love for others in those same ways. Everyone will know you as my followers if you demonstrate your love to others. So again, when we look for Jesus' particular will about how to interact with everybody, it's that love, that love that can't be explained but must be shown. And that's our job is to show that love. You may be asking yourself, well, that's hard because, and I, I'll just put words in my own mouth, I'm kind of a bastard. I'm not really good at loving people. And that's where God's spirit comes in and allows that to happen. So going to back to Galatians, and this is from the message, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears on an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And so, again, there's this, there's this idea of we're making an investment in ourselves. We're growing closer to God through the Spirit, and that yields fruit. And the thing that you do with fruit is you harvest it and you share it. So that, that love and that serenity and all of those things are meant to be shared with, shared with everybody. And so um, <laughs> the, the best example of that, and I forgot to uh, write it down in my speech, but we, we say this all the time at, at weddings. It says, what if I, and this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, says, what if I speak in the most elegant language of people or in the exotic languages of the heavenly messengers, but I live without love? Well, then anything I say is like the clanging of a brass or a crashing cymbal. Clanging of brass or a clashing cymbal. What if I have the gift of prophecy and blessed with knowledge and insight to all the mysteries? Or what if my faith is strong enough to scoop a mountain from its bedrock, yet I live without love? If so, I am nothing. I could give all that I have to feed the poor. I could surrender my body to be burned as a martyr. But if I do not live in love, I gain nothing by my selfless acts. And then so I want you to think about this and, and think about evangelism and how we are to interact with people. As I read the, the famous passage, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't envious. It doesn't boast, brag, or strut about. There's no arrogance in love. It's never rude, crude, or indecent. It's not self-absorbed. Love isn't easily upset. Love doesn't tally wrongs or celebrate injustice, but truth. Yes, truth is love's delight. Love puts up with anything and everything that comes along. 
that trusts, hopes, and endures no matter what. Love will never become obsolete. And then skipping to the end. Now faith, hope, and love remain, but these three virtues must characterize our lives. The greatest of these is love. So again, in, in Scripture, we see over and over the call to love. We see the Spirit equipping us for love, and we see what that life looks like. And that life is even referenced in, in the Gospels. Um, in John chapter 20, and verse 31, it says, These accounts are recorded so that you too might believe that Jesus is the anointed, the liberating King, the Son of God, because believing grants you the life that he came to share. So again, we can talk about eternity and have great conversations there. But even in the gospel, they're saying this is about life. This is about right now. And that's, that was true of my mother-in-law. I mean, what we, what we did with my wife and I together was we relied on the Spirit to try to be there for her, to be that love, to be forgiving, to be open to relationship. And in the end, it may have worked or it may not. I'll, I won't know for, for a while, hopefully, God willing. But, um, but even that was kind of surprising to me. When, when I first met my wife, I was a freshman in high school, and uh, she rode my bus. And I, rem I remember the first time I laid eyes on her, and I was like, that's nice. That's good right there. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't think I talked to her until I was a sophomore, and then over time we became friends. And I remember we would talk on the computer a lot, if we were, I guess, children of that age, bunch of nerds. And... Uh, and we started, we, we talked on the phone, and we talked on the phone for hours at a time. And I remember one time, I don't remember what I said, but it came out that, that I was a Christian. And she said, hmm, a Christian, huh? And I said, yes. And she says, well, I'm a pagan, or a Wiccan, or I, I don't remember exactly the, the word she used. And she says, so you probably think I'm going to hell, don't you? And... Uh, the way I remember is I made a joke about it. I like, the way in my memory is like, well, you don't? Like, come on. Like, so she said, I asked her about it because I knew I'd be giving this talk. And I was like, well, what, I don't remember what I said. What did I say? And she said, well, you did something that I'd never seen before from anybody who's a Christian. And you expressed doubt. And you kind of wrestled with it in front of me. And you said, well, this is what... I was raised with, and this is why I was raised with this, but here's kind of where these other things come in, and I'm not really sure, and it doesn't really sound like me. I don't know if you've ever noticed me, but I'm sure about everything all the time, so that's not true. Um, but in going through these, in going through these, um, these numbered bits in, in, in the guide, the first thing that they list is presence, and that's really what I had with Jennifer, is I was just there, and we talked all the time. And it was bound to come up sooner or later. Um, there's a, a verse here, and you can read it, where it talks about where to be salt and where to be light. We're supposed to have that effect on the people around us, something that's a little bit different. And so um, it's funny. that n The next thing is, is persuasion. And I'm, I'm terrible at that, too. <laughs> I'm so terrible at persuasion. I thought 
we were just going to live in a, in a marriage where I was a Christian and she did seances or spells. or I don't, I don't really know what Wiccans, I'm not trying to be dismissive, but I, just, I don't know what, what it's about. And, um, and so I was okay with that. And, and even though it's really not biblical, the Bible says, hey, you really shouldn't be, they call it unevenly yoked, which sounds like an egg disaster. But it's just the, the, the idea of kind of being yoked together like a, um, you know, like oxen or something like that. And so um, the idea of being unevenly yoked is, is actually kind of a big deal in, in, in the church. And so I was willing to do that. I was willing to get married by a justice of the peace. I just knew I loved this person. And, and that, again, it's not really characteristic for me truly because, you know, I was, I'd been raised in this. I was so deep into it. But I just knew that I loved this person and that I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else with that. So persuasion, First Peter um, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be ready to offer a defense, humbly and respectfully, when someone asks you why you live in hope. Keep your conscience clear so that those who ridicule your good conduct in the anointed and say bad things about you will be put to shame. And I think what, for me, what that boiled down to was just honesty, just telling her what I did believe. You know, if I had problems with something that was kind of generally accepted, I would I would discuss it with her, and we would go over it together. And again, the idea for me was never to convert her. Um, it was just a conversation, what you do with a friend, just talking. Um, it's funny in the in the persuasion things it says like you can work out the answers to common questions, and again, I I never had an answer. <laughs> I never had a good answer. We would but we would talk for hours about it. And I think maybe that's where the book has it wrong. It's because a lot of this stuff has been debated for 2,000 years. And I don't know if there is an answer, but what's great is the conversation about it. What's great is the going back and forth. Um, proclamation is the third. I kind of put that under uh, testimony, just your story, the story of, of, of you. And I know this is kind of a dicey subject for a lot of church people because they have what's called testimony envy. Um, where they think that, oh, I have kind of like a boring life, and I was raised in this, and then, you know, it's kind of an inevitability that this would have happened to me. I've got a friend, Cyrus, who was, he's homeless and addicted to heroin, and everybody wants his testimony because it's so great. <laughs> it's the best testimony. But I don't know if you've ever thought to sit down and think about your story as an arc about being pursued by God or, or kind of how he's worked in, in your life. I never had, and then... One day I was talking to my dad, and this was when I was, I was a grown, grown man, grown man talking to my dad. And he was telling me stories about my grandfather I'd never heard before, about how he was a drinker, and he liked to come home angry, and he liked to come home with fists flying. Growing up, I never knew that. I never felt that. I never experienced that. I was the inheritor of that grace and that restoration my father received when he accepted Christ. My mother the same. My mother was also just able to move forward past so many things in her childhood that just never came up for me. And so when you look at the arc that way, I, I feel Im immensely blessed with, with the life that I've, I've been given and the, the testimony I have is really rooted in my parents and the, the incredible things that God did in their life. So, but just having that kind of story 
is, is immensely helpful in even just framing your own relationship with God. Um, the, fourth, the fourth item is power. And I would, I would say this is where God comes in. Because all the time that I was talking with my wife, we were having conversations. And this is where I said, you can't save anybody. God does this. God saves people. And that's what was happening with her is unbeknownst to me, God was pursuing her. She was having these feelings and these experiences outside of our conversations that I had nothing to do with and had no control over. But it was progressing her and moving her along a path. Um, and so hey, miracles are great if you can pull them off, but I can never do that. Um, prayer is, again, a, an incredible tool. And I think what what prayer does is strengthen that relationship with God and with the Spirit. And so basically you're just talking about putting gas in your tank and, and cultivating those fruits so that when harvest time comes, you have the patience, you have the forgiveness, the love, the grace to deal with anything, anything at all. And finally, the last item is persistence. The, uh, the last bit of that Galatians passage we're reading says, Along those, Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, is crucified. So persistence just looks like us continually going back to Jesus over and over, being filled with the Spirit over and over, and going out and loving the people around us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 22 goes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. And here's the important part. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So there's a, a process there of purification and holiness so that your love isn't tainted by your own ends, your own agendas, your own desires. And so that's really the process of sanctification and holiness is just to make your will line up on the same track with God's will. And so Jennifer and I would have these conversations and, and one day she came to me and she said, I, you know, I think I want to go to church. And I said, okay, well, don't go to my church. I don't want you to go to my church because uh, we're dating and I don't want you to think that if you reject this and think it's terrible that you're rejecting me, I don't want you to do something just because you think I want you to do something. And I said, well, pick out a church and I'll go with you. 
because going to a new church is the worst thing you can do. Just awful. And so we Googled churches, and uh, St. Paul's, which is this church, came up. And this is the first one we went to. And um, we just kept going. And my wife was baptized right out of these doors right here. And we got married in that building right across the way, a church wedding. And um, now we, we have a son and a life. And I don't know where that came from because it didn't come from me. Do you know what I mean? That came, that was God. Again, I don't have any power to save myself. I can't save anybody else. And I didn't do it because I was obligated to. I didn't do it because... I had a quota or a bullhorn. It was based of a relationship, and that relationship that I was lucky enough to be in a place with my relationship with God to where that relationship could blossom and that relationship that my wife now has with God could develop. But again, that wasn't, that wasn't entirely my own. There was other people along the way that, that helped Jennifer get to where she is now. So... That's really my talk on evangelism. Um, and I just went a little bit over, so I apologize for that. But thank you guys so much for listening and, and um, being